welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it was a much longer delay than I had anticipated. I had moved the podcast over to uh, what I anticipated would be the new distributor. Same place I moved Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, to with uh, very minimal errors, just a lot of time-consuming cleanup on the uh, on the transfer because none of the episode numbers carried over. The uh, notes were uh, not there, so I had to go back and add the notes and episode numbers to everything, and then I had to relink everything on my website for all 398 episodes. That took a little while. But it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't painful. It was just time consuming. And I actually kind of enjoy that kind of work every once in a while. Uh, however, when I moved this podcast over, um, they are now doing the same kind of sweeps that YouTube did. And even though I'm only using short clips for journalistic purposes, uh, they flagged me for copyright violations left and right. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing. If I'm going to be doing whatever reviews I choose to do, that's one thing. If I'm going to have guests on and take their time to do a review of something with me, or if I'm going to be re doing reviews on behalf of others, like I do for, say, Cherry Red Records, or, you know, maybe friends of mine out in the industry that have something out, uh, I'm not going to promise them that I'm going to do it and then spend all the time doing the episode and then turn around and not be able to post it. I am a huge fan of copyright. I am an artist. I put out material. I don't want people, you know, just taking my music or or my books and doing stuff with them without my permission. I get that. And I am 100% behind that. However, that's the reason I don't play but a clip of the song. Because I got permission with Uriah Heep. I got their consent to play the entire song. That's why I was okay doing it. And interestingly, I am slowly uploading those episodes, uh, one per day, most days. Uh, some days I get busy and forget or whatever, but uh, I'm uploading those to YouTube. And so far I've done 10, what, 10 or 11 seasons, I think. Um, 10. I've uploaded 10 seasons already and not one copyright violation for YouTube. So that's very interesting. Because uh, they've they've consistently been the ones with the strictest um, issues. But a lot of people now are just going to, yes, I own a copyright on it, but I don't care if people use it or, you know what, they can post my stuff, but I'll take their advertising dollars in, in trade since I'm not going to make any money directly off of them. I mean, my podcast doesn't make any money. It's been costing me money every year to do it, uh, which is one of two reasons I switched it to another distributor. So as I record this, the podcast is still with the old distributor. Um, I'm waiting on the new one to give it back to me so I can reallocate it to a different one. Uh, basically, I redirected it. They have to direct it back to me so I can direct it to somebody else. So as of this recording, um, it's still not moved. But by the time this airs, obviously, it will be. Um, I'm actually I think I'm going to try and force it tonight or tomorrow, um, just depending because that's they said within 10 days and tomorrow will be 10 days. And I haven't heard a peep. So kind of annoyed there. But in any case, it'll get taken care of. So I thought, you know, uh, I don't have a lot of episodes banked. I had had uh, quite a few prior to this. Uh, and now I don't. So I thought I better get some recorded ahead of time while I'm waiting for all that to happen. Because once it happens, it's going to be hours of me, you know, relinking and, and updating and doing whatever I'm going to need to do with this distributor. They're a new one for me. I'm not, I wasn't familiar with them. Uh, Kevin Brown suggested them. Thank you, Kevin. So, uh... I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, it should be what like sometime in early September now when this airs, and uh, hopefully welcome to fall. 
Uh, we've had a pretty crazy summer here in Vegas. Of course, the whole town is getting kind of, um, I don't know, kind of a mess with this Formula One thing. And they've extended the contract through like 2032 before they've even had a single race to see how it goes. Uh, I think that was kind of a weird move. But, uh, you know, the construction here, people trying to get to work, everything has just been a complete nightmare for months, all for two days of this fucking race. Um, you know, and I think back about, uh, you know, uh, was it last year? I think it was last year when I was doing my taxes for, um, well, I guess it would have been taxes for 2021, actually. No, 2020, because I was still in the old apartment. And um, I had posted that uh, I was really excited that I had put literally just under 2000 miles on my car for the entire year. It was like it was like 1999 or 2001 miles for an entire year. And the average is 13,000. And I was pretty excited about that. So I just made a little post about it. You know, I'm I'm as paperless of a, as a company as I can get. I don't use uh, post-it notes very often. I mostly use dry erase boards. So, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, everything's done online. I don't get very much uh, in the mail. Um, some things I can't avoid, but but uh, it really, I, I try and be as environmentally friendly as possible. I'm very minimal on, uh, you know, my, my carbon footprint. And some jackass, I don't remember who it was, but some jackass blasted me on Facebook for how irresponsible I am for putting 2000 miles on my car a year. And I'm, and, and I, I was flabbergasted to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, dude, like I, I'm probably one of the most minimalistic people around. And I, I was just, I was floored. I have to admit I was absolutely floored. So, um, I'm thinking now about, and, and, and after a while, like I, I, don't think I blocked him, but I just, I, I just basically told him like, you're just being ridiculous. Like I'm so minimal in what I'm using. I'm as paperless as I can be. I try to be as responsible as possible. Um, it's not that convenient in our world today. And I'm finding out a lot of things that people think are good to recycle really don't help. And recycling plants don't want those little thin plastic bottles and things like that. Um, but in any case, the, um, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, things like, uh, all, all these, um, like air shows, right? I mean, I guarantee within the first hour, one of those jets puts out more emissions than I do in an entire year. But yeah, come after me because I'm clearly the reason that the ozone layer is thinning out. And this is why I just don't talk to people a whole lot. I mean, I do my podcast. I have certain people I interact with. Um, certain people, when they reach out to me, I'll respond. Um, but for the most part, like I just don't interact with people because people just want to complain and be angry and hateful. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, so anyway, uh, very interesting things going on here. The sphere, however, the new Vegas sphere is really fucking cool. Um, it, 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 when it lights up, like it's just amazing. The quality of the graphics, it's all LED on the outside. But considering the curvature and everything, it's amazing how smooth the images look on it. You, you'd think that there would be like some elements of stretch here and there because it's it's not all, you know, a sphere. I think it straightens out a little bit towards the bottom. Um, but just like you'd be so limited in what you could put on it. But they've done some absolutely amazing things. And uh, it's really cool. So if you haven't seen pictures of that online, just Google Vegas Sphere, um, maybe like Vegas Sphere nighttime, and you'll see some really, really amazing shots. Um, I don't think it's open yet, but a friend of mine got a job as uh, the audio engineer. So that's really cool. Um, I think U2 is going to be the first act. Um, they snuck themselves onto my iPhone. I finally got rid of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen beyond that. Uh, in any case, uh, so a couple new things. So the Uriah Heat podcast is basically done 398 episodes. 
uh, all moved over to the new distributor, all relinked on the website. If you guys happen to find there are any links that um, do not work, uh, please let me know and I will get those fixed as quickly as possible. And then um, I am still co-hosting the Aerosmith show, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited with my buddy Corey Morissette. John Mariano is no longer on the show. He opted to leave. And so Corey and I have been doing it ourselves. We've we've kind of rearranged things to make more sense. Uh, we've taken off all the live stuff, uh, all the um, you know personal saves that we had, and we're just going now with the uh, hits on one side of the mixtape and the deep cuts on the other side of the mixtape to kind of try and find a way to uh, you know give the uh, best well-rounded example or expression of Aerosmith um, for somebody we would recommend as a, as a new listener, like I pretty much was, except for the two albums. But we're finding a problem is that uh, we're just wanting to keep everything from Permanent Vacation on there because it's <laughs> it's such a great album. Um, but it's, it's a really cool show that comes out every Wednesday. And then uh, Corey and our friend Kevin Brown started a new podcast called The Ultimate Catalog Clash, which I've been um, brought in as a sort of... Um, I, I guess moderator in case the votes um, they, they vote the same way for their, their process. It's really cool. They go through the catalog of a band right now. They've started with uh, Genesis to Phil Collins era, not going back into the Peter Gabriel stuff. Uh, Corey's not a very uh, pro, uh, prog music guy. So uh, they've, they've opted for the Phil Collins era. And so they uh, each have predicted which they think will come out to be the best scored album based on their scale. And uh, I will come on the show and announce who the winner is. But if there is a tie, then I have to figure out some sort of way to uh, break the tiebreaker. So uh, it's a lot of fun, though. It's a really cool show. Very interesting analysis. They just play little clips of the song that are points of interest for each of them. And uh, and it's really cool. So check out the Ultimate Catalog Clash on your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, so that being said, we are here today. So good to be back. It's so cool to be recording a podcast on my own. It's been like, I want to say a month and a half or two months since I've recorded a show because I had everything lined up ahead of time. Um, so yeah, this is, this is uh, kind of weird to be on my own without a co-host again. But in any case, uh, we're here to talk this week about Ian Gillen's uh compilation album called The Purple People Eater. He did a song called uh, The Purple People Eater, a remake uh, with uh, Roger Glover. We talked about that on the episode with my buddy Rich when we covered Accidentally on Purpose. Uh, so we're not going to cover that on this compilation. I'll just make note that it is on there and uh, and I'll note where it's at in the lineup when we get to it. I have all the songs listed in the show notes and what album they originally came from as well, in case you want to check out any of those songs or those albums. Um, and then next week and for the next couple of weeks, I've got a couple of episodes with my buddy Corey Morissette coming up. And uh, we we tackled an album that I had never heard. And um, it was interesting um, for, for me to uh, go with that one. It was one of his favorites. So uh, we learned a lot about how each other works, which we really don't get to do as much on the Aerosmith show because it's so focused on just Aerosmith music. So this was kind of an interesting uh, way for us to branch out a little bit on some ground that was very unfamiliar for me, but very familiar for him. So lots of fun there. So let's get into this. So this compilation came out in 2002, uh, CD only. There was no vinyl version of it available, which is not too surprising because vinyl was really um, kind of phasing out a little bit around that time. CDs were much more efficient and um, less expensive and uh, the format that would last forever. So um, a lot of people were not pressing vinyl for, especially albums like this, for compilation albums and stuff. They might be still for artist uh, primary releases, but but not for these kind of things. Um, 
and I'm trying to remember how this came into my hands. I either picked it up at like, well, it wouldn't have been media play because I would have already been in Phoenix. So probably I might have happened to see it at Best Buy or more likely my brother got it for me as a, as a gift for my birthday or for Christmas or something like that. But either way, it's a really cool compilation. Covers quite a, a, a number of albums and uh, different spots in Ian's solo career. A couple of my uh, absolute favorite songs are on this uh, of his solo career. So I'm looking forward to getting to those. But let's jump right in. The first song is called Clear Air Turbulence, and it is from the album, wait for it, Clear Air Turbulence. Killer bass line. I absolutely love the bass line on the song. The drums are really cool. It's it's really energetic. I love the way Gillen sounds uh, in this period of his career, too. He's just got so much energy. He's singing with such strength, uh, and I love that. I forget sometimes how progressive his solo stuff was. You know, um, it, it, it almost borders on a, a little bit of jazz fusion in there. I'm um, not exactly sure where the line would be, but it, it definitely feels uh, a little bit like that, a little bit disco. Uh, really, really cool song though, but man, that bass line is, is just absolutely killer. Ian sounds just as good as ever here. Um, Clara Turbulence is a pretty cool album. Um, from what I remember, it's been a, a while since I've listened to it, but uh, Glory Road has always been the, um, the favorite of mine, the, the go-to for his solo career. Uh, our next song comes from an album called Scarabus and a song called, wait for it, Scarabus. So according to Discogs, this album came out in 1978, and I find that really interesting because just a few years later, uh, Ian would find himself in the band Black Sabbath as the lead singer. And boy, if I don't hear a precursor to some of the lyrics of Disturbing the Priest, not the words, but the the singing style, um, very, very similar uh, in cadence and, and uh, pitch and power. 
I, I have to say, but a really cool song nonetheless. Um, this is another one. It's uh, really aggressive, really energetic, uh, just a powerhouse. And uh, Scarabus is another really good album, well worth checking out if you're a fan of Ian's. Uh, as uh, we're going to hear a couple more songs off of this album. Our next one is called Mercury High. It, it can't be called Scarabus again, so... This one's actually not one of my favorite uh, Ian Gillen songs. It reminds me way too much of The Boys Are Back in Town, which I just can't stand that song. Uh, and, and it just has such a similar feel to it. Um, I like Ian's voice on it. I think the drums are, are really good. Bassline, of course, again, just phenomenal. Really good playing on it overall. Uh, just not this, this kind of song just doesn't really do much for me. So we're going to move on to our uh, next song from Scarabus. This one is called My Baby Loves Me. Here's the thing called My Baby Loves Me. Inside Out. Just just a killer track, man. Full on energy from beginning to end. Those hi-hats are amazing at that uh, that speed. Um, real Another just fantastically powerful uh, delivery from Ian Gillen, of course. But uh, this one kind of always reminded me of a song by uh, Whitesnake that I think is on Trouble called Nighthawks. Um, very similar to that in a lot of ways. Really cool song. Check that out. I'll be getting to Whitesnake at some point in the history of this show. Um, I, I promise you that I, I I've been holding out, I think getting to their stuff in the hopes that eventually I would be able to, uh, just get the permission to do a white snake podcast. I think I need to just realize that's probably not going to happen and, and get to those, but I've got a few other things to do ahead of it. So I will be getting to white snake. I will be getting to the rest of the purple catalog, the rest of the rainbow catalog. Uh, we'll be covering all of those things on the show. So we've got a ways to go folks, quite a ways to go. Uh, and then I've got uh, a bunch of other episodes, um, other things I want to cover. So, you know, we've, we've got um, 
I was thinking it was only going to be a couple more years, but putting it in that context, I'm probably looking at three or four, maybe more. I don't know. I've got a lot of stuff I want to share with you guys. Uh, as long as people keep uh, listening, then I'll keep sharing, even if it's just one person. So hopefully it's more than that or continues to be more than that. But, you know, there's one person listening, then then someone's hearing what I'm doing and it's worth doing at that point. Uh, so our next song would be the Purple People Eater from Accidentally on Purpose, as I've already covered that on the show. And you can go back and listen to that Accidentally on Purpose episode that I did with uh, Rich. And we'll move on to our next song. It is called Gut Reaction. This one's from the album Naked Thunder. And from what we all hear about, Ian, um, naked is uh, pretty common. disclosure there's like a 40 second intro of an airplane sound and uh, I cut that out and just started where the song starts because uh, you know if I'm only going to play a short clip I don't want to play you three quarters of it being an airplane sound um really cool song you know this reminds me it's just so cut out for this would be an 80s action movie soundtrack so you could play this song at the beginning when they're showing you all those night shots of New York City you see the steam coming out from the manhole cover because that's what they called them back then. Manhole covers. Now they're what person hole covers or whatever. Um, and uh, you could do that. And, and you just have all those different shots as they slowly introduce the location for three minutes uh, while they do the opening credits. Or it could be like a car chase scene or a helicopter chasing a car. Uh, or my favorite were those chases on Hunter where, you know, they're, they're driving, they're making these crazy turns, they're driving really fast. And then they do the interior shot with Hunter driving and Dee Dee sitting in the passenger seat. And she just got this calm look on her face, like they're just driving to the market on a Sunday, not that they're chasing somebody at 85 miles an hour, taking sharp corners. Um, I always thought that was the weirdest thing. Even as a kid, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but really cool song. It just has that feel to it. I think part of it is like the, the brassy synth, which was really popular in the eighties and just the overall feel to it. But another one where it's just like really great energy and, uh, definitely one that you could, you know, if you're like, I don't feel like cleaning the house, you know what? You just put on some naked thunder. You're going to want to start cleaning that house. You're going to just want to get up and start moving. So it's a really good motivational song, but would it fit a, a soundtrack? So if you, any of you guys are out there and you're going to be doing a, a retro 80s movie, consider licensing, licensing this one for me in because this would be a perfect song for your movie. So we're going to go to another track from Naked Thunder. This one is called Sweet Lolita.
So I double-checked Discogs, and it turns out this album didn't actually come out until 1990. Uh, Naked Thunder, not the compilation that we're reviewing, but uh, that seems kind of late to me for this kind of sound. That would have been a little bit retro by then, um, at least from my memory anyway. Uh, But this would be a great sound for your ending soundtrack or the... um, you know, they're they're walking down the street in love and their relationship is, is hit that point where it's growing for a minute before the next big disaster comes up that derails them. Uh, either way, another great soundtrack song. Uh, it, it's such an interesting time uh, in music. And I'm thinking more towards, you know, the, like the, the early to mid 80s with the, the movies, because it was like guitars were prominent in those songs, but they were the guitars were kind of they would play like rhythm and then do a solo but it would be almost more rhythm guitar than lead guitar. And then you would just have these different layers of synthesizers and things that would uh, just come in as, the, as like a lead with those, you know, stabs of, of brass or, or whatever. Really, really bizarre um, style of music. Very unique. Um, I don't dislike it, but it's not something I can listen to a lot of at one time. Um, unless I'm just like, let's go on an 80s trip or, or whatever. But for the most part, no. <laughs> so... Uh, we've got one more song from Naked Thunder, and I thought I had heard another version of this. I thought maybe he had done it on Gillen's End, but he didn't. Um, so I'm not sure if maybe I'd heard a live version or something. There must have been a live version. Uh, this one's called No More Cane on the Brazos. I always think that the subject matter of this song is going to be similar to Fingers on the Bone, which is about, um, you know, the the crop not appearing and the guy losing his farm and having to fire all his farmhands. Um, I always think this is going to be something similar to that, but just way more dramatic. Um, but but it's not, <laughs> not at all. Um, it just sounds similar um, because, you know, no more cane crops aren't growing. That just gets in my head. Um, this is a cool song. I did cut out part of the intro again because it was just uh, very long. And if I'm only going to play a short clip, blah, blah. So uh, I love the mood of this song. This is something that's a, a very patient song. It really gives Ian a chance to shine and not to be uh, as aggressive as he is on some of the other songs, but just to uh, really sing passionately from the heart. And I love that. I love when I get to hear him sing that way. It's not that common. We we don't get to hear a lot of that. Um, so it's it's always a treat when we do. But a really cool song, nonetheless. If I remember, I, I don't even know where I have that live version. 
Um, but I'm sure I've heard it somewhere else. So I'll, I'll have to dig that up and let you guys know one of these days. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been on the compilation, but uh, not the case. And those are usually studio songs anyway. So that wraps up our trip through Naked Thunder. And now we're going to hit a couple of songs from an album called Toolbox. First song, believe it or not, is called Toolbox. Another great, powerful rock and roller. I love the tempo of this. There's a couple things in this song that that I don't like. Um, I hate those guitar squeals like we heard at the beginning. Um, Steve Morse did a lot of that, or some of that, at least I should say, I want to be fair, on uh, Perpendicular. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about this new guitarist. Because uh, I just, I, I don't like that, that squeal sound. It just kind of drives me nuts. Uh, I've gotten used to it. Uh, at least on Perpendicular. And he really changed his tone come a band in the, the next album he did with the band. So I uh, don't really hear that so much anymore. But um, yeah, other than that, the only thing that, that I think is a miss on this song is the toms are way too quiet. If the drummer is going to be playing the toms as part of the, the rhythm, you know, as part of the beat, uh, they need to be more in your face. And, you know, we've heard toms on this album with some of the other songs really being vibrant and bright and, and very upfront. And the one time they absolutely need to be, uh, they're way too, way too mellow in the backgrounds. And that just kind of throws off the balance of the the heaviness and the pacing of the song. Um, so uh, I like the performance. I don't care for the mix on this one, but it's definitely a cool song. And, and everybody, uh, you know, just firing on all cylinders here. Um, I just think that, you, you know, not only does it just throw off the balance, it just throws out the power of the song a little bit too. If those toms were in your face, this song would be so much more powerful and um, yeah, kind of a missed opportunity. I wonder if the actual Toolbox album has a different mix. I don't imagine they would have remixed these songs for the album. If anything, they probably only would have just mastered them uh, so that they all had the same volume level. You know, nowadays they just throw everything into a brick wall limiter and go, here's your compilation album and not give it, you know, any, any thought. But uh, back then, uh, this probably just would have been uh, mastered together, at least volume leveled, I should say. Uh, maybe not mastered, but at least volume leveled so that, you know, the, the different songs weren't too much louder than each other. And the album itself has a nice flow. And um, that's the kind of the challenge of compilation albums is you're not talking about al- or songs that were recorded together. You're talking about songs that were recorded over different years, different studios, maybe different decades. So um, there, there are definitely sonic quality differences from song to song. And the, uh, the biggest thing that they have to do is make sure that the volumes are level so that one song goes into another and you don't have to you know, constantly manipulate the volume dial to make it an enjoyable experience. So um, other than the licensing and deciding you know, what songs, what order and, and getting the permissions and all that, 
Um, but yeah, a, a pretty cool song. I have to say a, another really good energetic one. Uh, here's one uh, I really, really like. This is also from Toolbox. This is called Dancing Nylon Shirt. never made this connection until just now, but this actually reminds me a lot of a song called Hang Me Out to Dry that um, I probably got to know better from Gillen's End than I did this album, but um, we're going to get to that one in a little bit. And so we'll we'll see if you guys uh, see the same thing in it that I do, but it, it has a, a similar setup to it. Um, but it's really cool. It, it's a good song. I really love the riff. I, I love that that rhythm that we get in between the verses. Um, got a good tempo, you know, it doesn't, not everything has to be fast to be powerful. Gillen singing, obviously, you know, as always at, at peak performance when he's recording. And, uh, I, I can't think of a song I've ever heard him record where I thought, you know, he just didn't really sound like he cared on that. I mean, when he records, he's in that minute and I love that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool song. Um, definitely one that I've, I've enjoyed very much. Um, now we're going to switch gears a little bit to, uh, an album called Shirkazoo. Um, Nathan pronounces it Shirkazoo, and I don't know that that's right or wrong. When I listen to him sing the song, it sounds like Shirkazoo to me. So that's how I've always pronounced it. Uh, no offense, Nate, you can send your hate letters to, uh, to me. Uh, you, you and I have a myriad of ways to, uh, connect with each other. So, uh, feel free to, uh, to send your thoughts, uh, to any of those mediums. But uh, this this album has kind of an interesting story. And what's weird is that uh, as well as I know the Deep Purple history, um, I never heard of this album until I got this compilation. And I thought when I was listening to these songs, I thought, wow, this really sounds so retro. I mean, the the mix of it, the ambience, the instruments, everything just sounds like it's late 60s, early 70s, you know, with electric piano and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm looking at this, okay, well, it was released in 1992. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's kind of weird. I mean, they really worked hard to go back and get that sound. So here's what I found out though. And, and this is, uh, according to Wikipedia, which, you know, I used to joke about how inaccurate it is, but it's, it's actually pretty accurate. Um, it says, uh, Shirkazoo and up, see Shirkazoo. Thanks, Nathan. Shirkazoo and other stories is a compilation album comprising previously unreleased studio recordings by Ian Gillen from the early 1970s. So this would have been either when he was still in, no, it wouldn't have been episode six because he left in 69 to join, uh, Purple. So this would have been while he was working with Purple. But what's weird about that to me is that I'd never heard about it. And not that I'm, you know, the be all end all of purple knowledge, but I 
was keeping pretty good track of what those guys were doing during those times. And I had never heard about this at all. Maybe because it wasn't released until 92. That's, that's very possible. Um, so, uh, and anyway, he was recording those, uh, during that time. It says the second part of this album features songs that were cut after Gillen's departure from Deep Purple, most likely circa 1974 and find the singer in more familiar territory. Um, did a cover of Elvis Presley's trying to get to you. So, um, it's interesting. And of course, uh, you know, on keyboards, we've got John Lord on bass, we've got Roger Glover. So, you know, you've got, uh, three fifths of Mark II Deep Purple right there on drums. We have Pete York. Uh, and then the, uh, on Cher Kazoo's, uh, sessions, we have Mike Moran on keyboards and Dave Wintour on bass, uh, on later recordings, not sure which one this would be, but, uh, in any case, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, the first eight tracks on the album are taken from the soundtrack to Cher Kazoo, which is, uh, a children's story, uh, that Ian was laboring over and, um, never happened. He's he's actually written so much more. I know that he had written um, a, a movie that he was trying to get pitched or a television show or something. He, he, you know, you never really know what artists create. You only know what artists release. And that's an important distinction because not everything that they create gets put out there. An artist like me, who's a self-released artist, I don't have to go to a record company and go, hey, who's going to front this for me? Who's going to front a tour? Who's going to pay for the album production or anything like that? because I just do everything myself. So I can release every single thing I, I've ever written unless I've written it for hire. So some movies that you work on, um, you do not retain any rights to the score. The production company does. Some uh, projects, like if I write music for a library, I may or may not retain certain rights. Usually you don't. Usually it's it's theirs. You're allowed to use it for demo purposes or, um, you know, uh, publicity, but you have to read your contracts very carefully. So it gets a little sticky there. And I have written a few pieces that I, I will never be able to share publicly because they were for hire for music libraries. And that's fine. Um, this, uh, but, but, you know, for a lot of these guys, like they've written so much stuff. If the butterfly ball had been Roger's idea and he wrote it and then didn't find a record company that was keen on the project. They were like, I don't know, this is kind of different and weird. We don't really know what to do with it or how to market it. And he couldn't find a record company to release it. It would have never gotten recorded. So, you know, uh, these days things are a little bit different. Um, but yeah, so I had never heard of this. And uh, I was really excited by the sound of it. This particular song uh, is one of my absolute favorites from Gillen. I love this sound of, of the late 60s. And um, it's something that I grew up with, so it's very familiar territory to me. Um, but it's it's mixed in a more modern way, um, not so mono, but it has the sound of you know of of that era. So let's check out the title track, Shirkazoo. One, two, one, two, three, four. Yeah, 
It definitely feels more in the style of episode six, the way that uh, Ian was singing there, at least from what I've heard. And I, I think about that, uh, you know, famous clip of when he's singing uh, when the trumpets blow and, and the little headband bead thing comes down over his eyes and he smiles and flips it back up into his head. Um, but but it has more of that sound to him. It's completely different from the way he was singing with Purple. In fact, I can't think of a single song in those early days of Purple where he sang this way at all. Not even Our Lady. Our Lady was was even a different style than this, but probably that's the closest one I can think of. Uh, but yeah, I love the just the atmosphere of this song, the feel of it, that, that 60s reverb uh, sound that it has to it. Just absolutely phenomenal to me. Um, love every bit of it. And we're going to get uh, back to this album in a little bit. Our last song, uh, actually, that we're going to cover uh, also comes from this album and is, uh, again, another one of my absolute favorite Ian Gillen performances. So um, next up, we're going to move to an album called da, 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 Naked Thunder. They didn't put them all in order. They kind of grouped them and then they were like, oh, yeah, we wanted to put this on there. Let's just throw it on here. Like the order of it is kind of weird. It didn't go from like era to era, which they could have done. They kind of put like three songs together and then they slapped one more on later. I don't know how they decided the order of this. It's kind of weird. With a compilation album, you don't really need to worry as much about the flow of songs from one to another like you do with a regular album because it's it's understood that it's not designed to be played in a certain order because you just picked songs. So for me, I probably would have grouped them by era and shown the progression like on in, in, in the timeline of recording you know, um, more so than release and um, just, you know, put everything in, in a chronology to kind of showcase his career and, uh, you know, peaks and valleys or, you know, whatever different styles as, as they came in and out. So, um, yeah, uh, but that's what they chose to do, which is absolutely fine. Just uh, not what I would have done. And I am not the be all and all of that. So here is Love Gun from Naked Thunder. That title kind of fits an album title like that, too, doesn't it? funny to me Ian is not a guy that needs effects or any kind of manipulation on his vocals to sound absolutely amazing but I have to say this sound for him is really cool and he did more of this on his solo stuff than than he did with purple um anything with purple was design effect like uh, the end of blood the original version of bloodsucker from in rock or something like that but um or, or like flange on um super trooper from who do we think we are but this just sounds really good. And um, I, I like hearing something a little bit different, too. It's 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 fun to change things up now and then. But uh, that just slight delay and a and, and, uh, little bit of chorus and reverb on his voice sounds really, really good. Another really energetic song. Um, I'm not too keen on the chorus on this one for some reason. I don't know what it is I don't like about it. Um, I just I just feel like the song's on such a great ride. And then the chorus comes in and I'm like, eh. 
and then it picks up again after after that. So uh, a good song. Um, not a, a huge favorite, but one I, I definitely like. Um, I'm kind of surprised and maybe on the older or, or the newer albums, I should say, of White Snake, there's a type of, that's such a David Coverdale title, Love Gun, you know, or Scorpions. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a really good energetic song. Uh, once again, they I think they really kind of went for the balls out energy when they were picking a lot of these songs, but they got a good variety too with like, you know, Shirkazoo and uh, No More Kane on the Brazos. Um, good variety of songs, but majority so far, there's there's been a drive to them, which is is not uncommon for Ian's music. Like I said, he was pretty progressive in his a lot of his solo career. Um, so now we're going to get to a song that he covered on Gillen's Inn. This one's called Hang Me Out to Dry. <laughs> Never hurts to break it up with something a little bit more mid-tempo. Um, this is a cool song. I, I, I've always loved the groove of it. It's good and patient uh, from the drummer, but it's it's just just enough up-tempo to, to keep it moving. But the guitars are really carrying the load on this one, I think. And, and Ian, um, drums are pretty basic and um, really just keeping the beat. They're, they're more metronome in this, I think, than anything. Um, I think I like the version on Gillen's in a little bit better, and we will be getting to that before too much longer, which I'm I'm really excited to cover. That was uh, the tour where I met Ian, and um, yeah, we'll we'll get to all that stuff when we get to all that stuff, but it won't be too much longer. I'm, I'm excited to cover that one. Um, this uh, this is a cool version though. I, I like it, um, but it's a, a little more. I, I think the the Gillen's in version has a little bit more uh, pep to it. Uh, I don't know tempo-wise if it's exactly the same or not. It might be a little bit faster, but uh, yeah, that one has a little more pep. This one's good, though. I do like this one. I can see why it was one that he enjoyed enough and wanted to redo, for sure. So uh, our next song, song 14 out of 16 tracks on this compilation, we are going to skip. This is She Took My Breath Away. Uh, again, this is from Accidentally on Purpose that I covered with Rich. So you can go back and listen to that episode. A uh, lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that album. Very 80s. Um, in a lot of ways, again, but uh, a very cool album. So we're going to skip to another song from Toolbox. This one's called Dirty Dog. You can't just say Dirty Dog. It's got to be Dirty Dog. I don't know why. I don't make the rules.
Talk about power. Uh, so this album, Toolbox, came out in 1991. Um, that would be uh, while he was on, uh, we'll say, hiatus from Deep Purple uh, after being fired. Um, <laughs> but uh, before he returned for The Battle Rages On, which came out in 1993. So uh, a couple years in there, and we know he was very powerful on The Battle Rages On, so it's not surprising he had that kind of power here in, in uh, a couple years earlier. Sounds absolutely fantastic. This is a good patient song. Interestingly, the guitar tone at the beginning of this reminds me very, very much of Money for Nothing. Um, it just it, it has that really similar, like fuzzy short distortion. And uh, I, I think it's something with the, the playing style of it, too, probably reminds me of it a little bit. But uh, yeah, good song. Um, kind of a slow one for coming towards the end of the album. It's a, it's a weird order for it. I think this probably would have been better if it had been put with the other songs from Toolbox. But um, yeah, it's still a good song. Um, I, I kind of like that it's a little bit slower paced again to kind of contrast some of the other, you know, more rock and rollers that we've had on here. But definitely a, a, a good, a very good, solid, heavy song. Um, our last song, this is a, another one of my absolute favorites for this. Uh, we're going back to Shurkazoo. This song, um, man, I could just, I, I could just like float on a little floaty in a pool or just like lay in a field and look up at the sky and just listen to the song on endless loop and be perfectly happy. Um, if I could ever find a way in life where I had no responsibilities, but, uh, this one is called our last track music in my head. song just hits every button for me um, from the strings to the female backing vocals to the gentleness Ian is singing with to the you know non-distorted semi-muted guitars to the electric piano to the dirty electric piano uh, with the the phaser on it because it would have been a phaser back in those days Everything just blends so perfectly together. I absolutely love the journey of this song and could listen to it over and over and over. I don't think other than I don't think I've ever stopped this song in the middle. Even if I've like if I've arrived at a destination while it's played in the car, I'm pretty sure I've sat there and listened to it until it was done just because it's such a great song. I, I never want to walk away from it in the middle. Even here, I didn't just, you know, calculate where the clip was and cut it off. I actually went and played the whole song because um, it's just that good. It, it's it's definitely one of my absolute favorite uh, all time songs, I would have to say. Um you know, I, I'm not one on ranking songs and stuff, but that's like I I would when I say ultimate favorite songs, a song that I would do just that. Like I wouldn't want to shut it off in the middle. Um, anytime that it comes on or I have an opportunity to hear it, I want to hear it. That would be 
what would go on that list for me. Not this song's better than that song or whatever. It's just all about this song consistently makes me happy and I always want to hear it no matter what. Uh, Genesis Dodo Lurker would be another one. I absolutely love hearing that song at any time that it, it uh, comes on. Of course, that's a little bit longer, so sometimes I have to stop it. But um, that is another, you know, absolute favorite of mine. I could listen to that over and over again. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the Purple People Eater, the compilation CD from Ian Gillen. Um, really does cover a, a good chunk of his career um, o- over the years and uh, some really good stuff, really powerful, some a little bit more bluesy, some a little, you know, uh, uh, vintage sounding, I'll say, but all of them good. I mean, all of them just really good. So we'll be getting to um, Gillen's in before too much longer, uh, which is uh, very much a favorite of mine, um, getting to see him on that tour. And getting to meet him as brief as it was, was a real pleasure. And uh, that'll be coming up soon. But next week, we've got Corey Morissette for two weeks of an album that I had never heard of by a band I had never heard of. And uh, he opened some horizons for me. So we're going to get to that. In the meantime, guys, check out Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited. Uh, Also check out Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast. All those shows are linked on my website, scotthaskin.com. And uh, then, of course, there's all the podcasts that are in the Deep Dive podcast network. This show is not a part of that network because it's not a deep dive show. Uh, however, Uriah Heaps and Magicians podcast and Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited are. All the links are on my website. Go check them out, www.scotthaskin.com. We'll see you guys next week. I'll also, um, I haven't recorded any yet, so I'm not sure when they're going to be happening. There may even be an episode in between this and, and uh, next week's episode with Corey. I've got to take a look at the list, but um, some uh, more reviews for Cherry Red Records. Really excited about those. Uh, they've got some good stuff coming up. So um, I'll be going through those soon. And um, if there's an episode that shows up, there's an episode that shows up. And that was something that came up after I recorded this. Uh, otherwise, next week it'll be, well, it'll next Wednesday will be Corey either way. Um, but there may be some other episodes that come in between. There may not. We'll see. I don't know yet, but you will. Cheers. <laughs>